Again, I thank you so much for being here. I could listen to that song, sing that song all day, every day. It's one of those things. If you're not amazed at who God is and what He's done in your life, I don't know what I can do for you, but I'll do my best to get you something. But uh, it's been an incredible morning this morning, and uh, I was, I've been excited. I, uh, I'm not going to share a lot this morning about my trip, but there's one thing that the trip has done for me, and I don't know how many of you are hands-on learners. I am very much a hands-on learner. I'm not very good in a classroom setting. If you put me in an English class or a math class or a whatever class, I'm not very good. I may pass it because that's what I have to do. That's about as far as it goes. And uh, I'm a very hands-on kind of a guy, and I love to... I learned best by just touching and feeling and figuring some things out and being over in Israel, and again, I'm not going to share a lot, but it just, the Bible is a different Bible today than it was a week ago, and I'll just be real honest, and that's not because it's any different, but because as I'm reading it and I'm studying it and I'm looking at it, I see the people that are there today, and I see some of the consequences, and we're going to get into Malachi chapter 2 this morning, and we, we started Malachi chapter 1 a couple of weeks back as we were dealing with stewardship, but I never really saw it with my own eyes. One of the things, before we get too far into this, if you go back into history and you go back into Scripture and you talk and go back to Solomon and Solomon built the temple, and then you go back even maybe a little bit uh, closer to our time where Nehemiah rebuilt the temple and we see and we know the temple and we, we, we listen and we've read and we've talked all about the, the children of Israel and their disobedience for lack of a better term. And oftentimes we've, I don't know, I've, I've read it and gone, man, why didn't they get it? They crossed the Red Sea, the, the seas parted, they walk through and all of a sudden everybody behind them dies and they do all these things and they get to the other side and what do they do? They complain. And we don't often see with our eyes the consequences of our sin. We live in a day and age where many, many times we'll go throughout our days, weeks, months, years and we, we fail to do what, the Israel, what God has called us to do. The children of Israel, we, we read about it and we can look back with hindsight being 2020, Monday morning quarterback, whatever you want to call it, and we can go, well, why didn't they do that? They knew what was going to happen. In our own lives, we can stop and look and go, man, why didn't we do that? We, God kind of told us we shouldn't do this. But we don't get to see it with our own eyes. And you go, why are you telling us this? this? This past week, three of the days of my being in Israel were spent in Jerusalem. In my hotel, I had a balcony outside of my hotel, and every single morning I got up, I could look out my balcony and I could see the temple. You say, well, that's okay. No, here's what we, we don't think about. The temple that we read about in the Bible is not the temple that's there. 
The temple that is there is a Muslim mosque that sits where Solomon built a temple. And the reason it's a Muslim mosque today is because the children of Israel decided they didn't want to obey and do the things that God had called them to do. And so today, the children of Israel try to go as close to that wall, which is what you would know as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, and they will cry and they will pray and they will do those things because that's as close as they can come because that's owned by the Muslims in the mosque. And they can't get there. Well, what does that mean, Aaron? I saw firsthand with my eyes the disobedience of thousands of years ago that I often don't see with my eyes in my own life. I may never live long enough to see all the disobedience that I, what I caused in my life. You may never fully grasp it. But this past week, as I would every day I would open my blinds and I could see over all of Jerusalem. If there's one thing that stuck out because it's the heart and center of Jerusalem is a big gold dome right in the center of what was the Mecca, so to speak, of Christianity. The temple, that's where they went, that's where they worshipped, that's where the, the holy of holies and all of those things was right there. It's what we've read about in our scripture and our Bibles. But this morning, or over there, it's tonight, it's a mosque. And it just blew my mind, and it, it, there's so many things, and I'll share more, like I said, on some Sunday evenings, but... It came alive in a different way, and I wasn't expecting that. That's just a a free nugget there for you, but it's so real what we live. The Christian life is real. The life of thousands of years ago where the, the Israelites and the Jewish folks lived was real then. God is real. And the Christian life in which we have the opportunity to live, the God in which we have the opportunity to serve, I can tell you that both spots in Jerusalem where they think that Jesus may have died on a cross and the tomb that may be there, both of them are empty, whichever one it might have been. I can also tell you that there was many, many, many tombs that I walked around and saw where you could see casket that was laid there because the tomb is no longer empty or is, is full. But the God in which we serve... It's an empty tomb. And I don't need to tell you that. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to see those locations to realize and understand that God and Jesus isn't there. He was risen. But the life in which we live as Christians is is a real thing. The sin that we'll talk about even this morning from Malachi, it's real. It affects people. And so I pray that this morning we can, I can be of an encouragement to you and challenge you. And as we started three weeks ago on stewardship. We talked about in chapter number one, we went into the book of Malachi. We're going to continue today in chapter number two. And uh, I want to say publicly, I know maybe some of you weren't here, but for uh, Chris Hartzer, the gentleman who spoke for me, um, I am grateful for him and his willingness and faithfulness to, to do those things for us. And so I just want to publicly thank him. And again, I know he's not here, but um, just 
on my behalf to him. And if you go back with me, as we shared two weeks ago in Malachi, we learned just a little bit of the history. We talked about some of the history of, of where Malachi came from and, and uh, kind of how he came to, to become what he was and to be the prophet that he was. And, and we went through chapter 1 and we got all the way through chapter 1 and we know in chapter or verse number 6 it speaks specifically that Malachi is beginning to press and question the priests of that day. As we continue to go on also in verse number 9, we see that um, really from verse number 9 on till the end of chapter, of chapter number 1, when we read that and we look at those things, God pretty much says, listen, regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, my name is going to be famous in all of the world. And then he comes to the very end of, of chapter number 1 in verse 14. He says, But cursed be to the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and avowed a sacrifice unto the Lord, a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And we see, and we came to the end of chapter number 1, and, and we saw that Malachi basically had no fear to call out any and everybody for the lack of what I'm talking about, stewardship. This morning we're going to talk about stewardship in a different manner and, and to some regard and really kind of the theme of these pass- the passage that I'm going to read today is, is really kind of looking at the integrity side of, of stewardship. But the priests, though they weren't, they weren't encouraging, in chapter 1 we kind of saw this, but the priests at this time, and you could almost liken it to even myself as a pastor, my job is to, to really do my best to teach and to encourage and to fill you spiritually that you would then go out and live that Christian life and kind of have a, a kick in the pants, so to speak, for the rest of the week or for Wednesday night or whatever that would be. My job is to do everything that I can spiritually as you are in our church to fill you so that you have a desire to live that life on your own. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but I can't go home with each and every one of you to make sure that you read. I wasn't at any one of your houses this morning at 6 or 5 or 4 or 7 or whenever you decided to wake up to say, okay, open your Bible, it's time to read. I can't do that. Let me be honest, I don't want to do that. I have a hard enough time making sure that I get out of bed and I read my Bible, let alone to make sure all of you do it. But no, it's my job to encourage you. My job to help you. It's the church's job to give you tools and to help and to teach and to train. The same thing that the priest's job in that day was, was to to give those people what they needed spiritually so that they could live that life. Here's the problem. The priests in that day, basically, they were no more than just somebody facilitating some type of a religious, religious, ritualistic type of a thing. Yes, they were doing sacrifices. Yes, they would go to the temple. Yes, they would do some of the things that they were, quote-unquote, supposed to be doing. But there was no, there was no truth and, and heart and encouragement to live that life in the real sense of what they were called to be doing. And we see here in chapter number 2 of Malachi, the very, very, very first thing in the, in the chapter says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a scary thought. 
if God were to come down and pretty much take his little, his little finger, I don't know how big his finger would be, but it's got to be kind of large since he can hold the whole world in it. But if he were to take his finger and just shove it right in my chest and say, Aaron, this is just for you. That's a scary place to be. But Malachi went right to the priest and he said, listen, I'm just letting you know this is, this is for you. And he kind of stuck his finger right in their chest. And I don't know if you've been to work or you've been somewhere where your boss or somebody in your, maybe it's your family, I don't know. But they've kind of came to you and stuck their finger in your chest because you'd done something wrong. And you're, at that point your blood is boiling because you know you did wrong. But then somebody has to tell you that you did wrong. Malachi takes his finger and just shoves it right in their chest and this is for you. This commandment that I'm about to teach, this commandment that I'm writing, this thing that is going on is for you. And it comes to a head right there at the beginning of chapter number 2 in verse number 1. And he goes on to say, if you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to Unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Malachi is being really as as real and as blunt, I guess you could say, as you could be. I would imagine for me, if I were to come to some of you and stick my finger in your chest and tell you, listen... Here's the commandment, here's what you better do, and if you don't, here's the curse that's coming on you. Oh wait, never mind, it's already there. That probably wouldn't go down well. You probably wouldn't look at me with a smile and go, well thank you pastor, I appreciate that. Nor did the priest in this day and age. But I would think as I'm reading, I'm thinking through this and This is the last book of the Old Testament. This isn't the first time that this has happened. I shared just some brief, a very brief synopsis, so to speak, of of the children of Israel going across the Red Sea as it was parted and they got to the other end and they kind of worshipped, but then in two seconds later they're complaining because they didn't get what they wanted. Well, here we have another time of the priests and of the children of Israel who have pretty much said, you know what, God? That's okay, I'll just kind of do what I want to do. I'm going to take us to Deuteronomy chapter number 27, if you want to go there with me. But in Deuteronomy 27, we're going to flip through a couple different passages here at the beginning of the the message, and then I'll really get to the, the heart of the message this morning. But in Deuteronomy 27, starting in verse 15, they'll be on the screen, but if you just kind of take note at the very beginning of each and every one of these verses. It says this, Cursed be the man that maketh in any graven or molten image an abomination unto the Lord and work of the hands of the craftsman and putteth it in the place, or the secret place, and all the people shall answer and say Amen. In verse 16, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother and all the people shall say Amen. Verse 17, cursed be he that removeth his neighbor, neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, fatherless and widow, and all the people shall say amen. In verse 20, cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because the 
he uncovereth his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. 21, cursed be he. 22, cursed be he. 23, cursed be he. 24, cursed be he. 25, cursed be he. 26, cursed be he. There's a number of things throughout this passage here in Deuteronomy where God said, cursed be ye if. Here's the list of things. And we come to a passage in Malachi where we see basically the children, the priests, were being cursed for the things that they had done. The priests would face the commandment of judgment if they did not hearken it or lay it unto their heart is what it says in verse number 2. The repetition of the idea in different terms serves to emphasize the importance of this conditional clause. What must the priest do to avoid the commandment? Pretty simple, but as you read through it, you just kind of ask some questions. Oh, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Well, what is the commandment? And we continue to read on. If ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. And as we look and as we see, the priests in this day did not lay it to heart. They were told to give honor to his name. And if you stop and you think about it, as I shared just a few moments ago, the primary goal, purpose, task, whatever you want to call that behind the priests was to lift up God, to teach who God was, to share who God was, and to show the people who God was. Yet in this time, Malachi is going to them and saying, hey, you better give honor and glory unto God. You better start taking heed as to what God has called you to do and what God has taken and and said for us to do. Otherwise, you're in in a world of hurt. And he said basically the failure to do those things was that God would bring down a curse or wrath upon those who would not do those things. God was serious. You know what I think, and I I think God is serious today, too. Again, I shared with you just some of the heart behind of something that I took out of this past week in Israel of opening my door to look out to the temple wall and see where the original temple was, which is no longer but now is a mosque. God was serious. When God gave them the land and God took them out from where they were and brought them to Jerusalem and they gave them that piece of property, so to speak, and then he set the parameters about it, he was serious. In the day and age in which we live, the grace age, he's serious today just like he was some 2,000 years ago. Here's our problem. We don't see it. The children of Israel, guess what? Every time they did it and they failed to recognize that God was God and God was Lord, and pretty shortly thereafter, they got to see it pretty instantly. Through a loss of a war, through the loss of different things, through being taken out of a place from all of these different things, they instantly got to see that. And here we live today in an age in a time where we don't 
I'm afraid we don't see it. I'm afraid we just miss it. God was serious about the curse that he would give them. And it says that he would, they are to listen. If you read that passage, it talks about listening and, and, and hearing. And I'm just going to go through a couple of passages of Scripture. But again, going back time throughout the Old Testament, God challenged the children of Israel to do the same thing over and over and over. In Jeremiah chapter 34 and verse number 17, if that could be up on the screen. In Jeremiah 34, 17, Therefore thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. And I will make you to, remove, to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 7, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Zechariah 7, verses 11 through 14. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and words which the Lord of hosts has sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. Over and over and over. And there's I've got more pastors. We're not going to go through all of them this morning, but... It mentions over and over. The Lord hearkened. The Lord cried out, Hey, listen, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they turned a hard heart. They turned a deaf ear, a blind eye. You know what? I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need all these things. And, and over and over and over, throughout all the history of the children of Israel, what do we see? One after another, after another, after another, was a curse, so to speak, that would be put on them. They were taken out of land. They were, they were given land. They were taken land away. They would be given this. They would be given that. Then those things would be taken away over and over and over and over. And here again, Malachi is coming to them and saying, listen, take it to heart. Lay it upon your heart. Because if you don't, this curse is coming. If you don't, these things are coming. And he goes out to the children or to the priests at the time and he warns them. The curse would be sent out not only on the person of the priests. This is something that if we don't even, in, in our own lives, I think we don't, we don't grasp this. But the curse would be sent out not only on the, pre, the person of the priest, but upon their blessings as well. If we go to Numbers chapter 23, or no, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 6, verse 23. In Numbers chapter 6, in verse number 23, it says, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give, give thee peace. And they shall put... 
my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Part of the whole thing with the priests, and the, if you go all throughout history of, of the children of Israel, there was a leader that would bless the people that were under them. So not only when, when, when we read this in Malachi and we look at all these things, not only would they be blessed, it's, it's, one, thing, it's one thing if I, as an individual, am cursed. It's one thing if I've done wrong and it affects me. It's another thing when I've done wrong and it affects my wife and it affects my children. It's another thing when I've done wrong and it affects my family, but it affects all of you. And it doesn't only affect you, but it affects other people that are out there. When we fail to recognize who God is in our lives and we fail to live in the integrity that God would call us or the stewardship that God would call us, it doesn't just affect me, it affects them. When I fail, it messes with my wife. You know, one of the biggest things that I struggle with on a regular basis, I don't want my life to be lived in such of a manner that my children who come behind me deal with the things that I struggle with. I don't want my struggles to be put upon my children. And if we go throughout Scripture, what does it say? That it can go to your children and to your children's children. And I don't want my kids to deal with what I've dealt with. I don't want my kids to face some of the struggles and the issues and the pains that I've dealt with. I want my kids to be able to be blessed because of the life that their father lived. I feel that part of the blessing on my life is because of my parents and because of their parents. That's a scary, scary thought when we look at Malachi and he says that they are going to be cursed. And when we stop and we look at that, it's not just a curse of them. It's the curse of the blessing that they would have on those that serve under them. You might go, wow, this is a great stewardship series. What does anything, any of this have to do with stewardship? Can I say, and I said this before, stewardship, though in the circles of church that we talk and we deal with, stewardship is all financial, stewardship really has nothing to do with finances. It's our lives before the Lord. It was three weeks ago I spoke a message, I think it was three weeks ago, but I spoke a message on the Lord becoming the Lord of our lives. It starts, stewardship starts with God being the Lord of my life, the, the controller of my life, the ones who pulls the strings, the one who, who calls the shot, so to speak, in my life. And when God is that, then the other things just happen to, to fall into place. When God is not the Lord of my life, guess what? When you mention money in church, you get really, really angry. All them pastors want is money. Call your bank and tell them that they, all the people that have to pay bills because you didn't pay your bill, that's all they want is your money. We don't scream at Walmart when we have to pay five cents for whatever we buy at Walmart. Why? Because, oh, that's just what we have to do. Money outside of church is acceptable to talk about. But stewardship isn't money. It got really, really quiet. Why? Because I said money. That's not what it's about. Listen, we're dealing right now, we're dealing with Malachi, and we're looking at Malachi, and we're looking at the priests and what they had to do. Do you realize 
None of what we've read up to this point has anything to do with finances, but it's all about the stewardship of their lives. And the priests decided not to have integrity and do what God called them to do. And now we're looking at the priests and all of the children of Israel being cursed because no one had the, the, the willingness or the heart or whatever you want to call it to live in a godly manner with integrity before the people. It's so much deeper than finances. This morning we're talking about Malachi, and as he was challenging the people, he stops for a moment, takes his finger and just right at those priests. He says, hey, this is for you. This is on you. Can I challenge you this morning, though you may go, well, guess what? I'm okay because I'm not a priest. (laughs) I'm all right because I'm not a pastor. I'm okay because I'm not a leader. Men, can I share with you, this is for you because you're a leader in your home. Women, this is for you because you're a leader in your home. Here, let's make it more broad. You're a Christian who's been called to live with integrity and live and have stewardship principles in your life. It's for all of us. Regardless of your position, you may look at this and you may go, well, this is directly right at you, Pastor Aaron. (laughs) Hope it was good for you because I can kind of close my eyes and ears and I'm going to take a little nap for the next 15 minutes. No, that's not what it is. This is for each and every one of us. And so this morning we're going to go through chapter number two. Not all of it. Some of you are just about to have a heart attack. We're not going through all of it. But we're going to go through the first kind of half of, I guess, the first half of chapter number two. And as we look in verse number 3, it says, Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And as we look at this, we talk just briefly in the introduction of the, the first two verses and what that curse was, and the result of that curse is this. And it says it there in verse 3, I will corrupt your seed. The seed is, you look, go back to those days. That's how they lived. Farming and agriculture and all of those things, they would, they would spread their seed, they would do those things. Here's even more. The priests lived by the seed of those that were under them. Because those that were under them would plant and harvest and have the animals and have all the things, and then they would take and bring to the storehouse their tithe for the priest to be able to survive and to live. And so when it says that the seed was going to be polluted or corrupted and the seed was a problem, that's tough because that means my food isn't going to be taken in. When I plant my corn, I'm not going to harvest corn. Now what do I do? I even looked at this, and I didn't study this. This is just of my own thought. I didn't read it, and I could be completely dead wrong, and that's okay. But I will corrupt your seed. The thing that I thought of is even physically the, the seed of uh, my family. That's corrupted for the generations to come. Not only just in harvest and in all of those things, because granted, if my seed in the harvest is bad, that means the animals are bad. That means everything. I mean, we're a mess. But it affects the family. It says, I will rebuke or I will corrupt the seed. Again, that 
God would forbid or he would forget, forbid the sprout and the growth of the fruit, of the, the vegetation. Consequently, consequently, the priests would not receive their dues from the people. So there's a result of a curse. The dishonoring would be the second aspect of that result, and that they would be dishonored. As they would have spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. When we look at that, the dung is the, the insides, the, the, all of the mess that would be inside of the animal. And so they would go, and if you're a, a hunter, you go, you, you gut your animal, whatever that is, you're going to take out all the insides of it, and you're going to leave it wherever you're leaving it. That's what they're talking about right there. And it says that that dung would be spread amongst the faces. And you got to think, when you look at this, and when we go back to those times, this wasn't just a couple people out in the middle of a field somewhere in a pasture. This was everybody that would come together and, and provide and give for the feast and sacrifice, and they would come together similar to a service like this, and God says that they would be dishonored. Their face would be spread with the dung of basically the garbage that was being sacrificed, that was being accepted, because it wasn't the best of the best, which is what was called for. And then later on it says that you would be carried away with it. I saw this firsthand while I was there, and I'll read it here this morning, but in Exodus chapter number 25, or 29, I'm sorry, Exodus 29 and verse number 14, it says that the, the flesh of the bullock and his skin and his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp or outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. So they would take all of this waste and they would take it all and they only worshipped in this area and they couldn't get rid of that inside. They had to take it all outside of the camp or outside of the walls, outside of the temple and they would burn it and they would dispose of the trash outside of the temple. And so now what they're saying is you're going to have dung spread upon your face and not only that but you are going to be ousted with it. Now you can go outside of the walls and you can just stay out there with the trash because of how you gave and did not care and did not take care of the children as you were supposed to. Man, that's, again, that's real. Consequence of our sin is real. Consequence to these priests for not being stewards of what God gave them is real. Consequence for me and for all of us of not following and doing what God has called us to do as men and women, as children, whatever it would be that are in here, is real. It may not be that you go and you sin tonight and you pass over and you're gone right now. But the consequences of all of those things are real. For these priests, they were going to be taken out of the camp and basically be exiled out because of their lack of following of Christ. The curse was designed to let them know and understand that wrong was done. The curse against the priest would be designed to accomplish two objectives. One, 
they would begin to experience the effect of the curse of the priest would realize that, that they weren't there for that. They were there to do something else. Secondly, the purging of the priesthood would fulfill the stipulations of the covenant with Levi. As we go to verse number 4, for the next couple verses, it says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I give them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. As we look at this and we talk real briefly over the next couple minutes on the covenant, a covenant is between two parties. And it binds themselves with solemn oaths to perform certain responsibilities one to another. Socially, a nation is in deep trouble when such covenants are broken. Spiritually, the breaking of one's oath brings inevitably the wrath of God, both in temporal judgment and finally in eternal judgment. Malachi describes this, how three covenants have been broken. One, their sin against God. The priests had corrupted the covenant with Levi. On the other hand, the people had broken a national covenant by a, a number of different things, one of which was intermarrying with the foreign women and different the things that were against the law there. And in the process of doing this, solemn marriage covenants with Jewish wives were also being abrogated. Divorce and a number of different things were taking place. The covenant, this is, this is incredible. If we were to go back, and again, for sake of time, I don't, I don't have time to really dive into all of these things, but the covenant with the tribe of Levi involves certain privileges and responsibilities. Let's look at that. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I give them to him. For the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Malachi sets forth the ideal of the ancient covenant. He then points out how the priests of his day had shattered this whole thing. God's part was to grant them life and peace. In verse 5. And he gave that to them. Again, we're not talking about Malachi in those days, but the, the children of the, the Levites were set apart back in, in Moses' day when, Aaron, when Moses came off the mount and Aaron and the, they, had, they had built this calf. If you remember the golden calf, and at that point in time, Moses stands up and says, who's going to stand with me? And the people that stood with him were the Levites who were then set apart that the, the Levites would be the, the priests. And so at that point in time, way back, back in Moses' day, we're looking, God said He's going to grant them life and peace. They would have enjoyment of life and abundance and prosperity. Along with the blessing of life and peace, God gave Levi fear. For the Levites, the children there, He gave them fear. I gave to him for the fear wherewith he feared me. Can I say, and this isn't something that I need to tell you, but can I say, when we lose fear 
of God, we have came to a very dangerous place. We look across our city, we look across our world, we look across and we look into America and the United States of America and we all go, well, America needs revival, America needs revival, and America, and it does. But here's what the problem is. There is no fear of God any longer in the culture in which we live. There is no fear. And when we lose fear, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. God promised life, peace. God promised fear. Levi responded with just that because it says there that he feared him. Before his name, before God, he was afraid. The proper response to God's gracious gifts is always reverence and humility. And over and over we see throughout when we fear God and we give Him His due respect and His due honor where that leads us. The standards of the covenant as we continue to go on throughout this passage again wasn't just something that you could half-heartedly follow. There was a standard behind what the covenant was. There was a, 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 a standard, just like for all of you with work or wherever it is, there's a standard in what you're supposed to do. The priest was to be incorruptible in doctrine. The law of truth was in his mouth. And as we look at that in verse number 6, it says, the law of truth was in his mouth. He was to hold to the law, to the Torah at that time. He was to embrace that instruction. The priests were not to teach their own views. It's no different than me. You're expecting me to hold to the Word of God. If I stand up here and preach something that's completely chaos and not against God's Word, I expect you to go, uh, now don't stand up in the middle of service, but at some point you're going to come to me and go, um, that's not what God's Word says. They were, hold, they were to be held to that. So not only the law of truth being in their mouth, but iniquity was not found. And it says, the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So second, the priest was to be unwavering in judgment. The iniquity, the crookedness was not to be found in his lips. Thirdly, we see that the priest was to be devout in conduct, in peace, and in uprightness. He walked with me is what it says in God's word. His life was as well as his teaching. Which one of the things that I learned in the time that I was there this last week was. We should kind of hold the same thing, but it's very, very prominent within the Jewish community. Is your life. Is your teaching. They hold very strongly to the action of somebody over the word of what they would say. And I think we do the same thing, but that's a very, very strong thing. Again, it's something that was laid out in the covenant way back when. Fourthly, the priest was to be focused in labor, and many they caused to turn from iniquity. Their faithful words and work would cause many to turn from sin in verse number 6. Fifth, the priest was to be immersed in knowledge, for the lips of the priest should keep knowledge. It was the duty of every priest to study the law and to teach it faithfully. Sixthly, 
Sixth, the the priest was to be honored in his office. He is the messenger of God, the Lord of hosts. The term messenger, again, we've talked about this, but Malachi was was a term, endeared messenger. The prophet in the Old Testament, we we know of a number of different uh, people. We look at John the Baptist was considered a messenger. We look at Messiah. When we talk about Messiah, that means messenger. But those priests were to be messengers of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The covenant was completely broken. In verses 8 and 9, and we'll wrap this up this morning as we finish these two, but the covenant was betrayed. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Malachi's day, they had betrayed every standard of the covenant of the priesthood. They were perverse in their life. It said, but as ye departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble. And one of the first things that they did, they departed out. They turned away from the holiness of what their life was supposed to be. Their lives were the opposite of what it was supposed to be and what they were supposed to be teaching. Secondly, they were, their, their example was such that they actually turned people from God away from God. Let me ask this. How many of our lives bring people to God as opposed to pushing people from God? Well, not me. I'm in church. I'm here two times a week. I'm here three times a week. I give a tithe. I serve. No, how many of our lives turn people from it? These people were in church. These people were performing sacrifices. These people were doing all the things that we would say are good religious things to do. But they weren't bringing people to God. They were pushing people from God because the action was different what they were supposed to be doing. Third, the priests were unfaithful in commitment. They had corrupted the covenant of Levi. They no longer paid God the due reverence and obedience that they were called to do. Fourthly, the priests were contemptible in reputation. It says, therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all of the people. They despised the Lord. So he caused them to be despised before the people. It goes on to say the priests were negligent in duty. Verse number nine says, according as ye have not kept my ways. They left. They, they ran from what they were called to do. And lastly, this morning in verse number 9, this, the sixth thing, that the ways that they uh, betrayed the covenant, they had respect um, in verse number 9 there at the very end, but have been partial in the law. They did not keep the ways, and then they became partial in the law. In the law, they perverted judgment and showed partiality in the administration of the law. Basically, they would allow this, but they wouldn't allow this. They would allow you to do something, but not allow you to do something. They became partial. They became everything that God had called the priests to do, they became separate. And you go, man, Pastor Aaron, I I get all this, and I I, I hope that it makes sense, and I kind of grasp some of this, but when we talk about stewardship, where does this all line up? 
everything. The priests were asked to hold the covenant that they were asked to hold. The priests were told to teach. The priests were told to to live out this life and to to bring people with them to to reverence God and to fear God and to, to learn and to grow and to do all of these things. Can I say that Everybody in this room that would stand up and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe God, I, I, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that is the same exact thing that each and every one of us are to do. Do we live that? Do we bring cl- people closer to Him? Do we act that in our daily lives? Are people closer to God today because they know who you are and they watch your life? The priests were called out. Malachi took his finger and shoved it right in their chest and he said, this commandment is for you. I'm going to turn it as I did for myself this week and I'm going to turn it and kind of stick my finger, though I don't have that many, and I'm going to stick them in your chest and say, this commandment is for each and every one of you. This commandment is for Oasis Baptist Church. This is commandment is for every Christian who's living and walking and breathing that I am to do all of those things. Well, but I'm not a priest. That's okay. Because in all reality, yes, you are. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You became a part of the priesthood of believers. You have a mansion being built for you in glory. Yep. That means it's your job. That means it's my job to do the best that I can and to do the best that we can that when people come in contact with this, they go closer to God. I don't push people away from God. Man, I pray that I don't push anybody away from God. I pray that as a part of my life and what I do and how I live and how I speak and what people watch of me, that I bring people closer to God, that I don't push them away from God. And as we wrap up this morning, let me just ask you, The curse was put on the priests. I challenged in a number of different ways, and we looked at the curse, we looked at the covenant, we looked at what the covenant initially meant and what it how it was betrayed. Can I can I say it was it was to them that they had life and that they had peace and they had all of those things. There is what we read in, in verses 4 through 7. Can I say to you that know Jesus Christ is your Savior? He wants you to have life. And He wants you to have peace. And He wants you to have joy. And He wants to give it to you in abundance. But are we holding fast on our end of the deal? Are we holding on our covenant, on the covenant side of us? That I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I would make you the Lord of my life. Are we doing that today? Are we doing that today? With every head bowed, every eye closed.